The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. John, we've known each other for many years. It's hard to believe how many years we've known each other. Uh, I, you knew me before kids and before a lot of that stuff. I've always known you with a kid, so who's <laughs> just getting ready to graduate or getting close. Uh, this morning, John, Brother John Moody, who joined our church about a year and a half ago, uh, is going to be preaching for us this morning. As I often say, uh, it is good for you to hear other preachers, even in our midst. Guys, we are so blessed. On any given Sunday, we have numerous men who could stand up here and share the Word of God with you. Uh, I, I appreciate the privilege to step back and listen with you this morning. So, uh, John, you came to Christ in 1999, is that correct? Uh, brother, that's been almost 20 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Uh, John, and I'll, I don't want to steal all his thunder here, he served uh, with his family in West Africa for about five years, is that right? Uh, four years uh, with the International Mission Board uh, serving over there, and so I'll let him share some of that as well. So, But you will be encouraged to hear what God is doing among the nations, but also hear the Word of God this morning. So uh, starting next week, many of you said, what's our next series? We're going to hit biblical manhood and womanhood and go through that for several weeks. But today, uh, Brother John Moody, and before he comes, we're going to have a quick video he wants you to see, and uh, pay attention to this. It'll really frame his discussion brother. It's a privilege. Teresa, thanks for giving him up for a week. Uh, I know he preaches at home all the time, so we get to hear a little bit of that too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, John and I have known each other since 2006. I was under John's pastoral leadership at Central Baptist Church over off uh, Independence and Garfield for about a year, year and a half while he was pastor there before they went overseas. So you will be blessed, but listen to this video and then we'll have John come up. Thank you. morning church just uh, just 
kind of an opening. The, the young man that you've seen on the, uh, the saying uh, Hello America, he was actually a, a taxi driver, and uh, when I went to leave the taxi, he actually jumped on his hood and wouldn't let me go until I took a picture and a video of him. So uh, that, was in, that was in a Kragana. Well, if, if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to two different lo- um, two places, two uh, texts I'm going to look at this morning. The first one is Matthew chapter 4, and the second one is Romans chapter uh, 15. Matthew chapter 4, Romans chapter 15 are the two primary texts I'm going to look at this morning. And let me just let me just say what a blessing it is to, to be here this morning. As Pastor Darren said, uh, Teresa and I have been here probably a year and a half. And uh, we were actually looking for a church um, kind of with one thing in mind, and that's where the, the Word of God was was preached. And, and there's a lot of churches, by the way, that are preaching the, the Word of God. There are good churches out there, but we wanted God to kind of put his fingerprint on a church where we could be part of, and especially in the area of missions, uh, something that God has worked in our life and that we're going to be speaking about uh, uh, later on in the in the text today. But one thing that I remember our first visit here, it took us like uh, almost 10 minutes to actually get to our seat. And that was because everybody was welcoming us and, and uh, you know, asking how we were doing. And we knew that this was, uh, this was a, a loving church. And, and not only that, we sensed that that God was doing something here at this church. Uh, we, we could just sense it in our spirits as if the Holy Spirit was saying, this is where I want you. This is where uh, I want you to serve. And, and we, we're going into a day and time in our society that, uh, that we need to understand what God's Word says. We're, we're facing things in America that we need, to, we need to know from a biblical standpoint, how do we stand? How do we stand strong on, on what we believe? And I believe that God is doing that here in this church, uh, and that's why we want to be part of that. Pastor Darren, uh, let me just say thank you, because you've kind of got a kind of this, this dual responsibility. On the one hand, um, preachers often tend to guard this pulpit. They, they have that responsibility. They're responsible, ultimately, for what's being preached from this pulpit. So, so in many churches, you may never hear another preacher come in. Um, and, and some of that is because the congregation, pastors don't feel that they have that freedom from the congregation. But, uh, but fortunately, so I say thank you to the congregation that, that you give pastor there and the, the freedom for that. Uh, I've been a pastor, so and, and you know I had that same freedom. So it's nice that Pastor Darren can sit here and, uh, and be able to hear what God's word. And, and that really speaks to the humbleness of Pastor Darren, that, that he doesn't always have to be the, the one up here, that he knows that he needs to be fed, and he knows that God speaks uh, through other people. And it's a blessing for, for all of us, really. Um, will you give me the kind of the freedom to speak about anything? Um, and, of course, all of God's word is profitable, by the way. Uh, but I'm going to speak just a little bit about the calling to missions and, and how God kind of worked in, in my life and our family's life and how that kind of relates to the church in, in general. And what you've seen on the, on the video is kind of just a snapshot of, of the ministry that, that we're involved in now. It's called E-Tech Missions. It's a ministry that, that God laid on our heart um, about five years ago, even while we were still on the field with the International Mission Board, to come back and start a ministry that, that primarily focuses on how do we get God's Word in the heart language of the, the numerous people groups that are in our world today. Uh, so, so we're going to be looking at, at that as well. Well, first thing I want to do, and this isn't necessarily an introduction to the, to the text this morning, but I think it's an introduction to some questions that we should ask ourselves any time that we sit in, in this uh, sanctuary, uh, at, at this moment, for this time, for this purpose. And, and, it, um, and not just that I'm up here this morning, but Pastor Darren or anyone, the first question is this, is why am I here? Not, not in the, the big sense of why are we here in the world or what our purpose in the world is, but why are we here this morning at this precise moment? Um, a lot of good answers are one is for fellowship, one is for prayer, but, but even when that is, is done and passed, why are we here? Why are we sitting here? Why are you sitting here listening to me uh, at this very moment? That's the first question. Second, does God have a word for me? Does, not, not necessarily the person next to me or the person that we wish would have come when invited, but, but what does God want to speak to me uh, this morning? In Jeremiah 37, King Zedekiah had a very relevant question for his day and time. It's also a very relevant question for us today. And, and King Zedekiah asked the prophet Jeremiah, he says, does the, does the Lord have a word uh, for me? And that's what we should always be asking ourselves. Does the, does the Lord have a word for me today? And, and those kind of tie into the last question. Does God have a, a right 
Does he have the right to interrupt my life? Not, not in theory or in cliche that typically we would say, well, of course he does, he's God. But, but in reality, have we uh, allowed and, and, and put that out there that, God, you have a right to interrupt my life? Because these three questions all kind of go together. They really do. So, so when we go to a Bible study or Sunday school or open up the scriptures or go to hear anyone preach, these are the three questions we should be asking. Why am I here? It's to be equipped for the ministry. To be equipped for the ministry. Acts chapter 6, we know the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of God's word so they could equip the saints for the ministry. So a lot of times we look at ministry in the professional or, you know, we have this, this division between laymen and preachers and that sort of thing. And there, there is that context of preachers and teachers that God gives specific offices. But really, we are here for a mission, to prepare for that mission, to be equipped. So you are here this morning, hopefully, to say, I want to hear, I want to be equipped, and I know that God's going to speak. Because think of this, if you put yourself under a pastor, say Pastor Darren in this church is a, is a whole, there's, there's some degree of trust that you've already come to to say, you know what, Pastor Darren or the people who come to preach, they're not perfect people, but I do have at least a level of trust that they're spending time in prayer, they're spending time in, in God's word, and I believe that God speaks to them. And if God is speaking to them on, for us as a congregation, then God's speaking to me. And then lastly, uh, and, I, and also even in, in Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 2, it says the people, the congregation, the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So now you see how it comes together, that, that God is, is speaking to the leaders and the preachers and the teachers in the church. They devote themselves to hearing from God in that sense. The congregation, as in Acts chapter 2, <laughs> devote themselves to the apostles' uh, preaching and teaching. Not only in the sense of just listening, but that devotion indicates that they, they had devoted themselves to obedience, to, to obey the, the word of God. And, uh, and then lastly, does God have a right to interrupt my life? If he doesn't, then all this is useless, really. Even opening up the scriptures is kind of useless. So, so that's the thing we're going to kind of look at, and that could go for, for any time that we come and meet together. Keep those things in mind this morning, because otherwise you may walk away and you say, okay, this is what God done in John and his family's life, and you may really miss what God is speaking this morning in, into your life. Um, and if, if God has that right, and he does, interrupt our life, then we begin to, to understand our purpose as an individual and how we fit into the larger scope of the church body. Um, <clears throat> we come together at this specific time for one purpose, to hear God so that we're equipped to go out into the world and share the gospel with, uh, with a lost and dying world, lost in, lost in darkness. That's our purpose. And so that's where I'm just going to start this morning, is how God interrupted my life. I asked I ask myself those questions, and, uh, and God <laughs> certainly interrupted my life. 19 years ago, if you'd asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. I mean, I come from northeast Arkansas. It's somewhat in the Bible Belt. If you drive by a church on Sunday morning, you have the, the title of a Christian. You have that right. Uh, and that's kind of how we were. I mean, uh, Teresa went to church, and, and I would go on Easter and Christmas and every other fellowship meal. And, and so, so the, the idea of being a Christian, that was my understanding. But then there was a preacher on TV one night. I know, t the jokes about TV preachers. And I couldn't tell you if it was Charles Stanley or Benny Hinn. I just don't remember. That's kind of where I was in my, in my walk. But it, it, was a, it was a time in my life that God was doing a lot of things. He, he was drawing me to himself. He was revealing truth. And I remember this TV preacher. Uh, he was being filmed on a, on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem. And he, he made a statement that actually just floored me something that I'd never thought about. And, and here, it was a simple statement. It's interesting how God will use all these different things to, to impact you and, and bring you to truth. And he says that, that Jesus Christ, again, he's overlooking Jerusalem. He said, Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's coming back for his faithful followers. And it, that blew me away. Because you see, my understanding and concept of what it meant to believe, and I'm thinking, well, I, I believe, but what's he talking about this this following Christ. What does that actually mean? So, so I began a journey. That's, that's really where God kind of just interrupted my life. I opened up the scriptures and for three months, uh, spent three months in the scriptures saying, what does it mean to, to follow Christ? Uh, and, am I really a follower? Because again, if you ask me if I was a Christian, I would say yes. So I just opened up the Bible. That's where I started. I just opened up the, the Bible with a prayer. 
probably the first time I'd actually ever been serious about seeking God. And I said, Lord, I said, I don't know if I'm a, if I'm a Christian. You know, people talk about being born again and following you. And I said, I'm not sure that I know any of this or understand any of this. And here's what I found in that three months. In the scriptures, I discovered a Jesus that I didn't know. A whole different Jesus that, uh, from the one that I had imagined, the one that, that I thought in some sense I was, I was following. You see, I met the biblical Jesus in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must repent. You must repent. You must take up your cross and follow me. This was kind of a whole new concept of what it meant to be a, be a Christian. And typically, there's, there's, there's a lot of responses we give to truth, but typically there's three responses that people give uh, when they meet the biblical Jesus, whether they meet him in the scripture or whether they meet him through preaching or whether they meet him through your testimony. Typically three responses. First one is to repent and believe. That's the idea uh, that God wants us to. He wants us to repent and believe and become a follower of Christ. The second is we just outright reject him. I mean, there's atheists and agnostics, and those are typically the ones who persecute and, and hate Christians. You can accept, believe, repent, believe, or you can just reject. But probably the most dangerous and the most deceptive is the third group, and this is the reinvent or to reimagine the biblical Jesus. This is where we, we create it an image of Christ, an image of Jesus in our, in our own mind to our liking. And the reason that's so dangerous is because it's so deceptive. And, um, and uh, so those are the, the three. And people say they believe in Jesus. You know, when you go out to witness or talk to somebody, they say, well, we believe in Jesus. It's not enough to stop there anymore. It's, it's just not because now you have to ask them, well, which Jesus do you believe in? Because the Muslims have a Jesus. The, the Mormons have a Jesus. Um, and the Jehovah Witnesses have a Jesus. And, and talking about, matter of fact, is interrupting our life when I was sitting uh, yesterday kind of going over this, I had just typed out that question. Does, does God have a right to interrupt um, our life? And about that time, I heard my daughter in the living room, and it sounded like a stampede going through the, through the living room. And all I could hear her say is she says, she says, Dad, get in here. The, the, the Mormons are coming. <laughs> the Mormons are coming. <laughs> And in my mind, I'm thinking somewhat like the Paul Revere scene when he, when he was talking about the British are coming. So here we have a choice when that happens. In, in my first mind, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I'm really busy right now. But then I look back at that question, and I just typed a question mark. And I was thinking in the bigger sense, does God have a right to interrupt our lives for, for his ultimate plan and purpose in our ministry? But really, that's what it boils down to. Does God have the right to interrupt our lives just daily in, in what we're planning, what he asked for us? So I went to the door, and it was, a, it was an, an older man. It wasn't the Mormons. It was the Jehovah Witness. And he, and he had a pamphlet that says, do you want to be happy? So, so I was able to share the gospel with him, and we got to talking about, he said, you know, talking about being a Christian. I told him about my hope in heaven, how I was a born-again Christian. He said, well, you know, there's only 144,000 that are sealed and going to heaven. And, uh, and I said, are you sure? And he said, well, the Bible says that. And I said, well, can we just look at it? And we found the scripture. And guess what? It doesn't say that. And I said, no, I said, the apostle Paul says that when we repent and believe the gospel, it says the Holy Spirit seals us until that day. He's our guarantee. I said, that's my guarantee of heaven. And so, see, this was an interruption in my day. And by the way, when, when we're speaking of Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, the question is, how do we see them? I mean, these, these are people made in the image of God that, that you don't have to go knock on their door. God is sending them to our door to be a witness to. Perfect opportunity to share the gospel. And so, so our point is not to win an argument. You can win an argument and lose the person. Our, our goal as Christians is to win that person to Jesus Christ. That's, that's our goal. And he said, well, if you don't mind, he said, I'd like to do some studying and get back with you. And I said, absolutely. I said, said, we can meet for coffee. So he has my number. He has my name. He's supposed to call me back, and we're going to meet for coffee. And he says, I want to study out. Now, what that, I know that means is that means that, that I'm going to meet with him and an elder. <laughs> and what he doesn't know is that he's going to be meeting with me and Pastor Darren. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but that's, that's what we need to do. Look at those opportunities. Th this is a man made in God's image. And, and I know that sometimes we deal with those things, you know, the people coming to our doors and all these things, and 
we just try to deal with them the best we can, the things we say and the jokes we make. But, but in the end, that, that is somebody that Christ died for. That man needs the gospel. And hopefully he will call me back and we'll have further discussions. Um, so so that's, that's, there's a deception taking place of this, this reinvented Jesus. Uh, you see, we know it's taking place in the Muslim mosque, the Jehovah Witness Hall, the Mormon temples. But there's a greater deception taking place in a lot of Christian churches or mainline Christian churches uh, even today. It's, it's, it's this Jesus that, that will not only embrace your sin, but he'll celebrate it with you. That's happening all over. I, ha I have an older friend who uh, that I've been talking to for a, a couple of years. I've known him. We were sitting having breakfast one morning, and I was truly, really trying to ascertain where he was with the gospel. And, and he got to tell him about a church that he went to. It's one of the mainline churches here. And when he said the name, I knew that, yeah, I'm not sure that their doctrine is really good. So I went to their website. Uh, on behalf of my friend, and I, and I listened to sermons, and I listened to one sermon com completely through to the 45 minutes, and the whole sermon, the whole 45 minutes was spent strictly on the task of disproving why the Bible is not true. Why that you can believe 90% of it, but there's this part over here that isn't, that just isn't so. And the, the more I listened, it finally kind of come out the reason why he believed that, and it all had to do with sin. It just does. It had to do with, matter of fact, it had to do with the subject of, of homosexuality. And here's what he said. He said, I can't imagine, imagine the Jesus that I know would, would be against people loving and having the right to who they, who they want to love. You see, it was, a, it was a reimagined Jesus. And that's what many people have done. They say, okay, this is my sin. This is who I am. My ultimate purpose in life is to be happy. And therefore, Jesus wants me to be happy. Jesus loves me. It's a reinvented Jesus. The world wants a Jesus who accepts their sin. And, and that's, where we're, that's where we're headed. It's, I think it's been that way in, in a sense since the beginning. And, and who will allow us to stay in our sin. But the Jesus of the scripture says you must repent and believe. John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses out there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we say, well, okay, with such a, such a message, I mean, who would not want that? So that's where people go. They take that, and they say, well, this is the God of love. He accepts me as I am. But the reason people will not believe in the biblical sense is if you'll read down just two or three more verses, it gives the context of it. It says, light came into darkness, and men rejected the light because their deeds were evil. It's a sin issue is the reason they'll not believe in, in the gospel and the good news. So that's the first thing I discovered, that Jesus requires repentance. Second is that he requires faith. That, that he requires this kind of faith that says, I will follow you. Now, we may not have it all figured out, but there is an initial surrender and a submission to Christ that says that I'm turning from this, this life of sin and I'm looking to you and I'm, and I'm surrendering to you. I will follow you. Repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. Such as a simple command in one sense. And yet it's a great invitation. It's an invitation. What a privilege it is. Imagine, I mean, there could be a whole sermon just on the privilege of repentance. We look at print, repentance as this bad news, but it's so essential to the good news. The fact that God would allow us uh, to repent and come to him and, and be accepted in his, in his kingdom. It's an invitation to leave that life of sin and embrace righteousness. Uh, it's the kingdom of God is being preached. It's an invitation into this, this kingdom. And and. In order to be part of that kingdom, we switch our allegiance. There's a, new, there's a new king on the throne. He's always been there, but we dethrone ourselves, and he becomes our king. So if you'll stand with me this morning, I'm going to look at our first text, Matthew chapter 4. If you'll stand with me, Matthew chapter 4, and look at this great invitation to follow Christ. And, and this, is, this is a scripture that, that God really used, because we're going to be talking about the missionary call this is the missionary call right here in one sense. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. It says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for... God, just the great opportunity, the great invitation to repent, to believe, and follow you. God, you f find us in our, in our daily lives just like you did these fishermen. 
God, you give the great invitation to follow you, uh, Lord, both to neighborhoods and to the nations. God, just pray that you'll speak to us. Help us to understand, to find the, the, the definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to, to follow you in repentance and belief, and give us a glimpse of your love for the nations. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. This was a scripture when I began to ask myself, what does it mean to follow Christ? What it means to be his and his followers. Jesus says here, if you want to follow me, you have to be about my mission. Jesus is is on a mission. He says, if you want to follow me, I invite you to be on that mission. I don't force you. It's an invitation. I invite you to join me. And uh, now you may not be called to live overseas. I believe that sometimes we get confirmation and calls kind of mixed up. The call... Teresa and I, one of the most common questions we used to get is, what about the call to, to, to be a missionary? And that was in the context of moving overseas. Well, I believe that you need confirmation to, to move overseas. But that's kind of what it is, is confirmation. The call to mission, to be on mission, is right here. It's the call to follow. Je- Jesus doesn't primarily call us to be teachers and preachers and missionaries, overseas missionaries. The call is to follow, and in, the, in that obedience to follow, that's where he places us vocationally and geographically. Africa is just a place on the map. Kansas City is just a place on the map. Us being surrendered to follow Christ, that's where he shows us. If you look at the, the apostles, you look at these men right here that he called to follow. Only later did he call them to be apostles. This was their initial call to follow him. That's that, the, the repentance and complete trust in him. And then you have to ask yourself, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark about everything. Uh, he's on a mission. So, the, so a, a relevant question is, what is that mission? He, and he says he's on a rescue mission. He's to, to seek and to save that which was lost. And I think it also helps to understand that everything Jesus did on earth pointed to one thing. Even the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, all of that pointed to one thing, and that he was the Messiah, and that he came with a special mission. You understand, everything that he did on earth, he could have done in heaven. Matter of fact, it was done in heaven. You look through the Old Testament, people were raised from the dead. People were fed providentially. Miracles and all these things. One thing that Jesus couldn't do from heaven was become the substitution atonement for, for us. To, to rescue men from their sin. To rescue you and I from our sin and the life of, of darkness. So, so when Jesus comes and he says, I'm on this mission. I'm going to make you fishers of men. If we get this mission wrong, if we get this foundation wrong, then our whole Christian life will, will be one of confusion and, and, and we'll not really know what our, what our mission is. Uh, and, and here's the thing about it. When we get the mission wrong, then we get the gospel wrong. Because if, if we're not leading people to be on mission with Christ, this is what it means to come to Christ, to follow him, to be forgiving. It leads to all sorts of, uh, all, all sorts of false gospels. I mean, think of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. Why are you coming to Christ? To be forgiven, to be on, to be to give your allegiance to Him, to be in His kingdom, or is He your servant? So your servant boy in that sense, Com- complete different understanding of, of the biblical Jesus. So, if we understand the mission, Jesus is on the mission. He invites us to be part of that. Everything that we do will be filtered through that understanding. We'll be on His mission. And, and then also, so we have to ask ourselves, individually as in a church, okay, if there's that, there's that close a link to following and fishing, then, the, then the, the natural question is, is, if we're not fishing for men, that's not part of our main mission, then are we really following? Because the two are connected. The two can't be separated. Matthew chapter 4 explains the what. It's what we do. We're on a mission. Uh, but it also is good to understand where. Jesus says... Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But, but again, the Lord really gives us a, a lot of information in the scriptures. He's, he's telling us where as well. Matthew 4 is the what. Matthew 28 is the where. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And when we think of nations, a lot of times we think of the 200 geopolitical boundaries that's, that are laid out by the, the UN. We think of Ghana and we think of America and China and they're like on a map. They're these lines that have been drawn. But, but you have to understand, those lines weren't there when, when Jesus was giving us uh, 
giving this command. Here's what the disciples heard when Jesus was speaking, what they heard in their own heart language. When he said, go into the nations, it was that pantatiathne. They heard going to every people group. So, so geopolitical nations, there's a little bit of maybe 200, 203 of them. Ethnic groups, people groups, Jesus says penetrate every people group with, with the gospel. And there are 11,491, depending on how you break those down. Some people say it depends how sub you get. So, for example, uh, Americans were one of those. One, one people group. The Bomber, 8 million of them across Mali, West Africa. One people group. The Fulani, 26 million. I have a list. Uh, I actually went and, and looked up the list of people groups. And it was 300, I think 300 and something pages. So I didn't print all those out. But, but just to give you a sample of, of two or three of these 11,000 people groups, there's a people group called Benea in India, 29,417,000, no believers. Hui in China, thir over 13 million no believers. The Jat in Pakistan, over 32 million no believers. Uh, and then there's one people group that spread across Bangladesh, India, and Pakistan called the Sheikh. 232 million of them, not one known believer. Now, you take that and you say 11,000 for it, that kind of gives you the scope of the, the, the heart that God has, the scope of, of the work that is to be done when you look at these people groups. And America only has around 318 by comparison. So that one people group has, has 238. I think Luke and Michaela gave us some prayer cards. Some of you may have them. Just one small region in India. I mean, just one small region of India. 64 million people. Like 18,000 villages without the gospel. It kind of gives you the scope of really what's going on in our world today. So, so that's our mission. That's our mission. That's the mission of Jesus Give us the Holy Spirit so we would do greater works in reaching those people groups, these 11,491, give or take 10. Um, but there's a lot, let's just say that. And, and here's, the th here's what's interesting. God could have, he could have given this privilege of sharing the gospel in any form. He could write it in the clouds if he wanted to. could have given it to angels, but he didn't. Matter of fact, he dispatches angels to help us and to send us certain places you see even in the scripture. What, what a privilege it is to share this good news. Angels don't know. They haven't experienced the good news of, uh, of Christ, of, the, of salvation. That's why it's our testimony. That's why it's, it's our life and it's our privilege. Our greatest responsibility is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ while we're here on this earth. That, that's our mission. I think if anyone understood that it, it was the Apostle Paul. I don't think Paul ever got over his Damascus Road experience. Here you, had a, here you had a man who was, who was zealous for God, who obeyed the law, who prayed, who, who did everything that he was supposed to do, but yet something was still missing in his life. Known as the great persecutor of the church. But then he met Jesus uh, on the road, and he realized, you know what, I've, I've got it all wrong about Jesus. I had this, this imaginary Jesus, that I, who I thought Jesus was, and what he required of me, different things. And, and uh, but yet he met Jesus on the road, and it changed his life forever. He never got over it. Romans 15, 20 says this. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. He was speaking to the church in Rome. He'd never been there. And he couldn't get there because, you know, there was so much of his mission yet uncompleted. And, and even in his day, there were regions and there were people that still the name of Christ was not known. And that was his ambition. You know, he says they don't have access to the gospel like perhaps uh, a lot of the churches did. So he had to be very intentional. And that's the way you reach these people groups. You have to be intentional. It has to be your ambition. Uh, that, that ambition, that passion, that, that mission. Uh, and, and here's really a question that, that we have to ask ourselves from time to time. You and I both. Does our lives, my life and your life, even even remotely reflect someone who's repented and believed the gospel, who who has surrendered and says, "Lord, you are you are King Jesus, and I follow you." Is it our ambition to make Christ known, uh, not only among the nations out there, but in the neighborhoods here, from neighborhoods to nations? That's that's the mission. Um, 
Is it our ambition? It's, it's a question that we have to revisit over and over. People need the gospel. I think I seen on Pastor Darren, uh, even this weekend, you had a, a gentleman in the store. They're all over. I mean, the, the people need the gospel here in Kansas City or to the nations about a man who, who had an encounter in the store, and it was, it was quite evident that this man had no peace in his life. That man needs the gospel. It's, the gospel is the only provision for man's salvation. It's the only provision for peace in a man or a woman's heart. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven given to men by which men must be saved. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not, not any other reinvented uh, religion. That's, that's what it's all about. It's about. People are seeking for peace. People, eternity and sin has been set in the hearts of man. The law of God, eternity. We know that there's something more out there. And, and people... And, and that's sometimes a thing about with Jesus, too. Uh, even that, the, that the, the Jews had in his day, too. Because, see, to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and as Lord and his claim on lordship, then you have to put uh, some, some weight into his words. And it's the words that he didn't like, the things like repent and believe and, and that I'm, and I'm king. Because naturally, we, we put ourselves on the throne. We don't like anything that may come against that. Um, the gospel is a life-changing message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a message that changed my life. It's a message that changed your life. It's, it's the message that Jesus says to give to every person living. Um, people need the gospel. Uh, I was in northern Ghana, and uh, there was, put it this way, a, a bush pastor when we got there. A pastor who had been raised in a mud hut village, when we got there, he looks around and he says, this is the end of the world. So when a man who, who grows up in a mud hut village looks around and says, this is the end of the world, I know that I'm in a pretty remote place. And so anyway, we went into this, um, this building. That they got tin out there, so it's kind of like a mud hut building with a, with a tin roof, which you can imagine the heat in Africa. So it was like a, a sauna in there, so... Uh, quickly as possible afterwards, we got outside and we're sitting under the trees. And the pastor is introducing me to the, the elders of the church. And he says, this man here, he said, uh, he's our Baptist deacon. He used to be the village witch doctor. So, so we, we've got a witch doctor who, who, uh, who is now a Baptist deacon. And, uh, and he began to tell his testimony. And he says that, he, uh, of course, every, every hut has their little idol. Every family, every man is responsible to, to pray to that wooden idol. But as being the, the village witch doctor, he kind of had the big responsibility. Uh, so he had a special hut with all, the, all of the, the village. Um, um, sometimes my mind goes blank, the, uh, the wooden idols. And, um, and his daughter became very sick. And some of you have heard this story. I'm, I'm guessing from what he said, she was six, seven years old, and, and she, each day she was getting worse and worse, and, and she, was, she was on her last breath. She was unconscious, no response. She had withered away to nothing. And here's what he said. He says, I went in for the last time. I knew it was my last attempt to try to get these idols to hear me. He says, I went in, and he said, basically poured myself out to these wooden idols um, and to no effect. He says, I knew that my daughter was going to die. And he says, but I remembered there was a small church, about 20 people in this mud hut village. He says, I remember them saying that there was a man named Jesus that they could pray to. Now, that was his understanding concept, all he really understood, that would hear the prayers and, and, uh, and could heal my daughter. He said, so I, so I picked her up, and I took her to the church. And he said, they laid hands on her and they began to pray. And they said, and he said, almost immediately, her eyes come open. And she began to speak, and she only said one word over and over and over again. And it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And from that moment, it was a, somewhat of a miraculous healing. She regained her strength and lived. And because of that miracle in, in one sense, he became a believer in 15 to 20 other people. It was, it was almost out of the book of Acts of how God just intervened, healed that. But this was a man who, who needed the gospel. And here's what we have to ask. If they're not hearing the truth, Again, it doesn't matter where they live. If they're not hearing the truth, what are they hearing? Because they're hearing something. People are believing something. Uh, they believe something about, like I said, God, eternity, sin, what the afterlife and all that is about. I remember last year I was on a plane going to Africa and happened to be sitting by 
a man from Sweden named, named Jan. And it was apparent that he was a businessman, probably pretty wealthy, pretty intelligent from the world sense. And uh, so he asked me what I did. Well, so that's the perfect opportunity, being, especially being on a mission trip, to explain the gospel. And so I explained the gospel. I explained who Christ was to me, how he changed my life. And, and here's what he said. He said, he said, well, that, I'm glad you found that. He, you found something that's good for you. But he says, I don't believe any of that. And uh, so, so I was appreciative of his, of his, uh, of his honesty. He, he was very cordial. He wasn't um, mad or anything like that. He was just being honest. And, and so I asked him, I said, do you mind if, if I asked you, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to the conclusion that, that God isn't, isn't real? And he said, well, logic. He, said, he says, I rely on logic. Well, let me just say, what a door to, to share the gospel. Because, see, sometimes we view that Christianity is just this leap in the dark, and really it isn't. It's, faith is a leap into, into light, into evidence, and it's, and it's all throughout the Scripture. And so, because there are certain things we know about people, doesn't matter where they are, whether from Africa or, or uh, Sweden, that God's law is placed in their hearts. You can go into the most remotest place in any jungle. They have this system of justice set up. Places never even had the scripture. They know that stealing is wrong, killing is wrong. And so there's this sense of God's law written on people's heart. Eternity has been set in the hearts of people. God, that's a gift from God. People know that there's something more than this. And also, God's glory is displayed in creation. That's logic. And so I said, yeah, I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, if I was to have a, a soccer ball, a round soccer ball, and I place it here before you, I said, you're a man of logic. I said, logically, would you believe that, that there had to be been a creator? And he said, of course. And I said, okay, the logic is that. And I said, I agree that it's obvious that there's a creator. And I said, so take the sun and take the world and take the stars and everything that we see, the human eye and the the ear. I said, if logic tells us that a, that a soccer ball has a creator, then how much more the creation of the world? Logic. Here's the thing about it, and that's why it goes back to why are we here? We're being equipped for the ministry, and, and you know, when we say, well, we're fearful of this, this, and this, we have a testimony. We have truth. We have even logic on our side, and that's why we come here to be equipped and, and prepared for these encounters, to be on mission, to be fishers of men. Another uh, instance of people who need the gospel, this same village that, that I was in where the witch doctor that night, I was sleeping in the back of a truck, and uh, it was kind of a short bed, so my feet were kind of hanging out. And, uh, and all of a sudden, about 100 yards, I hear this screaming and this chanting and this yelling. So I look up, and about 100 yards down the hill is, is the people whole tribe that, that weren't Christians, and they were just dancing in a frizzy, uh, frenzy going around this, this flame with wooden idols. And I'm trying to sleep under the stars in this mud hut village. And all I could really think about, it's kind of odd what you think about in those times, but I, all I could really think about was those Tarzan movies, you know, where they're, they capture the person and they're taking them to the fire. And um, so, I, so I put the tailgate up and I just kind of hunkered in the, in the bed. And anyway, here's my point. The next morning, when all that was done, about 6.30 when the sun came out, those people walked by my truck, and they just waved and they smiled. And it's like God spoke very intimately with me at that moment. And I realized, you know, we think of, of, of these people in Africa that are worshiping these idols, and then and it just I got a clear glimpse that these are people, again, made in God's image. That's all they've ever known, ever since they were babies being raised. That's all they've ever known. That's the only hope they've ever been given. You know, life is difficult, and there's darkness in this world, and there's evil spirits, and the demonic, and all that, and the only way that you can counter that is through these idols, the very idols that God says that they have eyes, but they can't see, and ears, and can't hear, and they have mouth, but can't speak. That's their hope, and so, so it doesn't matter if it's the, the rich Swedish man on, on the airplane or the, the remotest place in Africa. The gospel is the same. The, the darkness is the same. It's the same darkness wherever you go. John 3 says that, that light came into the world, but men love that darkness. Um, and, and so how does, the, how does light come into that darkness? Okay, if the world's in darkness, and we know it is, um, and Paul asked that same question somewhat rhetorically in Romans chapter 10, I think, that was read this morning. How, 
then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Paul understood that people cannot call on Christ unless someone's willing to go and share the gospel. And, and there's a connection that the person can't go unless the church sends them. You see, that's why, so when I go, um, E-Tech Missions, E-Tech Missions is set up as a legal entity, but it's not E-Tech Missions that sends me. It's, it's the church. The church is the sending institution. That's the way God designed it. So, so when I go out on, on ministry or mission, it's, it's not my ministry. It's, it's God's ministry. It's the ministry of the church. I'm actually just, just one, the foot or the hand or whatever we want to use is, is the, the people of Tireview. So when, so when I go and you pray, and all, I, I've always viewed it that, that we are going. It is, it is the church of, of Jesus Christ um, that goes. So, so where are we today when we look at the scope of, of missions? Um, where are we 2,000 years later? People, people have a tendency to believe that, you know, there's really no need for missionaries anymore. Uh, and I think it's because of the, the numbers that we look at. Here are just a few of the numbers. There are 43,000 denominations, 5 million churches. At least under the umbrella of Christianity, there's 2.3 billion people who claim to be believers in Christ, 12 million vocational workers. There's a church on every corner. We have Lifeway resources, we have books, multiple resources. So when you look at that, and you look in our American context, you would think, well, surely the world's been reached uh, for Christ. It's, it's only natural to assume that, but there's another list of numbers. And there's really, the, these are the facts, that those people groups, out of those 11,491, over 3,000 are still engaged, unengaged. Now, that's, there's not even a strategy. There's not even a... A thought like somebody's going to say, hey, we're going to reach them. There's over 3,000 of those people groups. There's no plan even in place to even send anybody with the gospel. 4,000 languages with still no scripture. 1 million villages without a church. 85% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't know one believer. Again, this, you're talking about parts of the world that uh, it's just different from what we understand in our context and our thinking. 97% of every mission dollar goes to existing work. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, but it explains the numbers. For example, um, America-wide, let's say there's a there's $100 million given to mission work, foreign missions, not missions here in America, but to go overseas. 97% of that typically goes where the church already is. Nine out of ten missionaries typically work among the areas that are already reached. And again, it's not that there's not a, a, a need for that. There is a need for that. Those people are doing excellent work. But it does at least explain where we're at, okay? Where we're at in, in terms of why are these people still unreached with the gospel. That's why we have to be very intentional about, about reaching into these people groups because the, the easy places have been reached. There's a reason that the unreached are, are unreached. And that can range anything from persecution to war to all these other things. And, and really, in 2012, we, Teresa and my daughter and I were, we were living in West Africa, and I really began to struggle with this question, am I, am I really doing, am I having the most impact um, for the unreached, unengaged people groups? Because Romans chapter 15, 20, when Paul said it was his ambition to preach the gospel, uh, where Christ was not known, that was actually the scripture that, that was God's confirmation of what we would, we would be doing uh, in a general sense with our lives. And so, so missionary work in that context, I knew that it would be reaching out to the people who have the least access. It's not a matter of need again. Every, the man across the street needs the gospel. The people in Africa and China and India need the gospel. It's a matter of access and what access do they have to it. So that's when we moved back to the States and, and started the, the ministry of E-Tech Missions. Um, and, our, and our primary mission is to go to people who are considered the least reach, who has, who has the least access, access uh, to the gospel. 70% uh, of the world's population are, are, are oral learners. In other words, that's, that's how they learn. They, they can't read, uh, they can't write, but they, they listen. Jesus himself lived and ministered in a, in a society, in a, in a culture who couldn't read. They were, they were oral learners. And, and maybe that's why the Bible instructs us to listen 352 times in the scripture and yet read only 77 
Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, and so you've seen on the video, that's the three primary sources that we have in sharing God's word. We, first of all, we have the Jesus film. The Jesus film is the book of Luke, uh, basically put in audio and visual. It's just straight from scripture. So many people have, have understood the gospel by seeing that, that scripture. I have a good friend. His name's Pastor Muhammad, which is kind of ironic. But he kept the name Muhammad so people would understand that Muslims can come to Christ. It's been a great witnessing tool because they ask him, how can you be a pastor with a name like Muhammad? So he didn't change it like a lot of people do to a Christian name. But he says when he was a young man, some missionaries brought the Jesus film. And he says, I knew right then that it was true. And for a year, there was no other believers in his village. He prayed to receive Christ. He received him by faith that particular night. It took him a year to for God to do other things in his life and send believers and encourage him where he made a public stand. And sure enough, he lost his family, his job, all that, because it's all tied into that cultural community. But yet here was a man who the Jesus film, and God is still using the Jesus film in some amazing ways because it's the word of God. The micro SD cards that you've seen, just a little chip that goes in the phones. Now, it's interesting that a lot of these places don't have running water or electricity, but they do have phones. And so they have these car batteries where they go and they, they charge their phones. It's the village entrepreneur that he brings it out once uh, about an hour every day and people charge on a generator. And so, so you'll be standing in this remote place and a phone will ring, about four people will pull out a phone, you know, to see if it's, there's ringing. So, so this is technology that we're using in the audio solar Bibles. These are just the, the device. You've seen the, the short video of the man trying to explain. That was a partner that we, that we worked with in, uh, Mali, he was explaining this in that particular village I just got word of a, of a Muslim elder uh, we were in that village about three years ago given these audio players and Jesus film and there was a Muslim elder and I even have a video of this man that we recorded when we were explaining and, and typically when you think of Muslim elders well he'll never come to Christ that's your because he's so hardcore and so resistant to the gospel but just got word about a month ago that this Muslim elder come to Christ because he was listening to that audio Bible. And the word of God was powerful and, and active and, and brought him to, um, to faith in Christ. And, and here's the thing. People say, well, what can we do for at this point? What can we do for, for missions? And, and, and I've been to my share of, of mission and evangelism conferences. And you know what? You pick up something good on, on all of them. I could, uh, I've heard plan A to Z on strategies plans uh, and again it's all it's all good stuff I but even if I could give 10 PowerPoint presentations on, on how to do that and how to equip ourselves better uh, here's what I think the number one priority need of the church is today and that's that's for Christians to, to open up their Bible and fall in love with the Jesus that you find there it, it's just that simple it's, it's to fall in love with the Jesus of the scriptures, a Jesus who so loved the world that, that he came for us, he, he died for us, he took our sin, he was buried, rose again, reigns in triumph, and, and, he's, and he offers this free gift of salvation to us. And here's what will happen when we go and we plant ourselves in scriptures and we ask God to do this work of love. Here's what happens when, when, when loving him and knowing him becomes our focus. It's just a natural, just a natural outflow. His mission for the world becomes our mission. His message for the world will become our message. And his love for the world uh, becomes, becomes our love. Galatians 4.9 explains it kind of like this. It's, it's Christ being formed in us. You see, it's, it's the Holy Spirit doing something with it. This love, it, it's, not a, it's not a fleshly love. It's not a love that we muster up. It's, it's not a will that we just muster up and say we must do this Christ wants to, to work in us, he wants to form himself in us and work through us and, and his life and his love is being poured into us and it's like the cup that just overflows and it just overflows into this, this darkness that we see all around us our mission our mission is when you go to work Monday morning, that is your mission is to share the gospel uh, do I think you need to be open to is God calling you to, to go overseas? He, he may be. A lot, a lot of times people say, well, I'm glad that God's never, never called me to Africa. Well, you'll never know unless you stay in a submitted, in a surrendered state. You'll never know. 
It's just like the apostle in the beginning. If they never had chose to say, okay, I follow you in full surrender, they would have never been appointed apostles and teachers and preachers and such. Um, so we have to live in that surrendered, that surrendered state. Let me just close with this. Our mission is not in vain. Um, the, the world we live in today, I mean, it seems like you know, there's times where, you know, what's, what's really going on here? Is, is anybody really hearing our message? Just like was read in the scripture this morning. Um, but, but God is not doing all this in vain. He has a mission, um, but he also has a vision. And, and he, he even fills us in on what that vision is. The, the, the Apostle John, because of his stand for Christ and the word of God and the testimony that he took and the stand that he took on behalf of Christ was exiled to the island of Patmos. And there he got a glimpse of God's vision. Um, and and it, he's, seen the, he's seen a vision of the, in the context of the tribulation saints, but it's indicative, in, in, indicative of what God's love looks like for the nations and what it will be like for all of us in the end. And, and here's what it says. It says, after these things, Revelation 7, 9, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb so one thing we know from this passage is that the nations will be reached they just will matter of fact there's, there's times when I'm talking to people in, in, in Ghana or Mali and I tell them about this very vision and I, and I say there's people from every nation because see many people just can't imagine um, a Fulani Christian because to be Fulani is to be Muslim. And I tell them, I said, no, I said, there was a vision given of, of every nation. And I said, so there's going to be Dagombun and Komba and Mamprusi and Fulani and the Chinese and the Americans and the Russians. And then I go to their people group. And I said, and there's also going to be Hausa there. And I said, my thing is, I don't know who those Hausa are. The question is, are you one of the Hausa that will be there? And I remember a lady up in, again, in northern Ghana named Ben Green. I asked her that question, and she just dropped her head, and she said, she says, I won't be there. And I said, I said, why will you not be there? And she says, I do not have enough light. And again, in the context, I knew what she was saying. She was saying, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get to, to this throne of worshiping Jesus that, that you are talking about. And so I just so happened to have one of the audio players, the solar players, in her heart language of Kokomba. And I said, well, this is the life. This is God's word. This is God's message to you. And so she took it. We showed her how to use it. And again, she was an elderly lady, probably 65, 70, and, uh, and which is very, very elderly in, in Africa because of just the hard life that they live. And so the next morning, we were all to meet under a tree. Now, I'm listening to the local Christians of how they have a, a powwow and they said, no, you just, you go, we go out, we share the gospel, and we have everybody to meet under this tree on Thursday morning if they want to follow Christ. And I'm thinking there would be nobody under that tree. And uh, so Thursday morning comes, and it was actually the day after we talked to this lady. And sure enough, they sent a man out around the village beating on a drum, and that was kind of the, 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 um, the announcement that, hey, we're, we're meeting under the tree. If you want to follow this Christ and learn more, be there. And people just started coming. There ended up being 150, at least 150. And then I seen Ben Green coming from a distance carrying her stool. And when she got to us, she said, she said, because of this great love that you have shown us, that coming all this way with this message, that, that I have decided to, to follow Christ. That's why we do it. God is on a, a, a love pursuit rescue mission for these folks, just like he was in, with us here in America. He, there's people all across the world, and, and that's our mission. We're to be on mission with God. Um, so as fishers of men, and I'm going to close with this, we have to ask ourselves, who hasn't heard? Where did they live, and how can I help? How can I be part of that? And, and from the neighborhoods to the nations, we have to be intentional about this mission. And, and when that happens, when, when we pursue Christ as, as King Jesus, as the ultimate authority in our life, and say, Lord, we don't, we don't know how, how it's all going to play out. We don't know all the details, but, but we submit to you, we surrender you, and we trust you. Just lead us, Lord, and, and we will follow. When, when that happens, when that mindset, when he becomes the, the love of our, our life, then God will no longer be an interruption. Just won't.
All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you, uh, God, for, for being such an interruption, Lord, when we are lost and in darkness, and Lord, when no wise we're pursuing you. We have no thoughts, no care, no love for you, Lord, and yet in your pursuit and your rescue mission, God, you reach out to us and, and your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord, and you just interrupted us and in where we were heading, Lord. You rescued us and you saved us. And Lord, now the great invitation is to follow you and to follow you, Lord, in, in complete submission, surrender, and faith. And God, that's what we pray. We pray for courage. God, we pray for the, the heart of Christ being formed in us. We pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and God, just completely your fruits just overflowing in us and through us, Lord. We pray for the, the people, Lord, from the, the people in Africa, the unreached, unengaged, the man at the store that Pastor Darren met, to the, Je the Jehovah Witness, that, Lord, that hopefully will call back. God, these are people you love, people made in your image. God, give us that same kind of love. Give us that same kind of pursuit and ambition that the Apostle Paul had. It would be our ambition to preach the gospel where he's not known, wherever they may be found. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you, brother, very, very much for sharing.